Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We get it going on a Thursday and taking a bite of the Big Apple with Otis Livingston, the uh, sports anchor at Channel 2 in New York. Otis Nets blow a 17-point lead and fell to the Celtics 114-107. to So now they're down 0-2 in the series. History tells us that the team that goes up 2-0 wins the series 91% of the time. That does not bode well for Brooklyn. No, it certainly doesn't. Um, I actually felt like uh, I thought the Celtics would win by double digits, and I told a lot of people that. I just felt like they missed a lot of layups in that game one. Um, I thought they made the play they had to uh, make down the stretch, obviously, so I thought that they would win. I thought KD would have a much better game, um, and if Kyrie showed up as well, that you know they would have a good chance to win. But I just felt like Boston – uh, gave them a lot of opportunities in game one. Uh, maybe it's just their inexperience or whatever it was um, in game one, given, you know, that, that led to that last second win, you know, by the Celtics. Um, but I just felt like they were going to be the better team. I did not expect Kevin Durant to play the way he did for the for the majority of the game. I did not expect Kyrie to play like he did for the majority of the game. I don't know if it's the, the fasting um but he looked really sluggish last night and looked like KD was a little sluggish. He's harassed. He, he can't even move. They're in his uniform, you know, two guys at a time sometimes. So uh, I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't able to get off. But, man, I'm, I'm starting to realize just how good that Boston defense is. And I think the Nets are starting to realize that as well, that they can erase a deficit like 17 points by locking down on defense and then hitting some timely buckets. Then once they got going, once they took that lead for the first time, I, I, I just – did not think that Brooklyn was going to be able to come back. In my old neighborhood in Brooklyn, we would call that an old-fashioned mugging. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, look, uh, the, the defense of the Celtics was clearly dominant in both games. Uh, they forced Durant into difficult shots because there were two guys on him constantly, as you mentioned. Kevin Durant, I mean, uh, Kyrie Irving, who had 39 in game one, couldn't get out of his own way last night. I mean, Irving goes... Four for thirteen with one assist, and yeah. it just—it looked to me like, I mean, if Bruce Brown doesn't kick in the way he kicked in, and Seth Curry to a lesser degree, uh, this, this game is over. But how they built a seventeen-point lead, I'm going to ask you something that I haven't thought about until just this moment. Do you think Ime Udoka has outcoached Steve Nash? It's certainly looking like it. It, it's certainly looking like it. It seemed like the second half, especially the Nets, just didn't have an answer. They didn't make any adjustments to to get their guys better looks, easier looks, 
Maybe it's not possible, but you got to try something. Something has to happen here. Something has to give, you know. Uh, Dragic gave him a nice little injection in that first half as well, and then he didn't play much in the second half. Uh, guys like uh, Peyton Pritchard came off the bench for uh, uh, the Celtics, made an impact. Uh, Derek White made some timely buckets. You know, they had – and then don't forget uh, Grant Williams. You know, those guys were filling that gap. You know, when your superstars aren't playing as great as they should be, I didn't think that Jalen Brown had a good first half. He made some big buckets in the second half and kind of took over a little bit in that second half when, when uh, the Celtics were really making their move. But I didn't think that he came to play in the first half as you know as well as he normally does. So those guys filled the gap. Now, it was the opposite for the, the Nets, that their role guys were the ones that were keeping them in the game, and their big guys – their stars were not making those plays. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in game uh, three. But as far as being out coach, I just didn't think that Steve Nash made those adjustments. Um, I thought that having a, a novice as a head coach come in, you would surround him with people, you know, that would be able to give him suggestions or, or be able to help make those adjustments. Um, so I don't know if that completely falls on him, but mainly falls on it, on him because he is the head coach. But let's not forget, Udoka was on his staff. So he knows right. the Nets team. He knows the, the, the little ins and outs of the team. He knows how to defend Kevin Durant, you know, from I'm hearing from his days of playing, from his days of coaching in the league elsewhere, uh, and now coaching him and now coaching against him. So he had a lot of the answers. Uh, that defense, like I said, it, it – they, they came in here with a heavy, a heavy rep that they were a great defense, and they're showing it right now because they seem to have all the answers. You know, uh, it, it starts – the game starts out, and they're they're kind of feeling each other out, but it seems like the Nets get that – they got that initial burst. You know, they got that – they got off first. You know, Bruce Brown kind of carried them early on. You know, Seth hit a couple buckets or whatever. But – when it comes to making those adjustments and, and turning the tide of the game, it seems like the Celtics got the answers. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Otis Livingston of Channel 2. Celtics had seven guys in double figures, led by Jalen Brando at 20. Jason Tatum did not have a big game. He had 19 points, but he had 10 assists. The Yo, key, the yeah. key, I thought, uh, one of the keys, not, not a key, the Nets had just 16 assists on 35 baskets. That indicates right. a lack of ball movement. There, there was the ball was stuck a lot of time, uh, where Durant would be out on the perimeter with two guys all over him, and then if he got the ball to Kyrie, same thing. I, I yeah. thought the Celtics are, for the lack of a better term, the best switch team in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, they had, like I said, they had all the answers, you know. And once you, you know how the game goes, you move the ball. You know what I mean? You can't just rely on iso ball all the time that's what they had when they had uh Kyrie Katie James Harden there was a lot of isolation basketball you know and that that's not gonna win it you know it's more like the I mean there's not a whole lot of teams that can duplicate what the Warriors do but you see them play they move the basketball they hit the open man they take good shots they you know it's just a it's just like a machine you know what I mean but it just gets bogged down when you have one guy now you get help from the weak side there was a play where kd was taking jason tatum last night and he and he and he was still dribbling with his left hand and Jalen brown just came up from behind and stole it away it was it, and, and it led to a three-point play on the other end with Kyrie fouling uh Jalen brown going to the basket um so you got to move the ball yeah those assists that that tells a lot you know about what's going on and then 
you say uh, Kyrie only had one. Well, that's a lot because although Jason Tatum did not have a big game scoring-wise, he did get assists. He did stuff the stats in other areas, you know. So that was a good indication for for the, the, the Celtics because they were in arm's reach. And guess who made a couple threes down the stretch? Jason Tatum. That's right. what big players do. And we've seen it out of Katie. We've seen it out of Kyrie on a number of occasions. And I expected that last night. Um, but, like I said, that defense stepped up for the uh, Celtics. Uh, in game three and four, they play in Brooklyn. Uh, I don't see Brooklyn as a as a decided home court advantage necessarily. It's not like it's a tough place to go in and you can't win. Uh, but having said that, uh, you know, game three is obviously paramount. I mean, the Nets don't win the yeah. game. The series is basically over. The one thing I noticed last night, they, they kept putting, they, they put two graphics up on the screen while I'm watching the game in the like fourth quarter, third quarter into the fourth quarter. The Nets went seven minutes and four seconds yeah. without a point. I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> I said, That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing. And then later on, they went three minutes and 40 seconds without a point. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, obviously what the Celtics are doing is correct. What the Nets are doing to counter is incorrect. Yeah, and, and also, you know, you saw a number of those uh, – Shots that Kyrie and uh, and Katie were taking, they seemed tired. Yeah, you know, and, and to be honest with you, they had to play a lot of heavy minutes going in just to get into the playing tournament, just to get to the seventh seed. You know, they had to play a lot of heavy minutes down the stretch, and now they're putting them together two every two three days. So it's kind of building up, and we saw when Kyrie was uh, roadshow only that he was able to put those games together because he wasn't playing night after night after, you know, or, or, or in short bunches. But now we're starting to see with that into the regular season, because they didn't finish as high as they wanted to. Um, they had to play major minutes. And I think it's starting to take a toll. I, like I said, I, I also think that, that his fasting has something to do with his sluggishness because it start you're starting to see it. It doesn't look like the same Kyrie who has that burst and that pull up game and that getting to the basket with the, the hang time and the and the uh English off the off the backboard and things that he really does. And K D, I mean, I'm looking at some of these isolation cameras uh, of just him running around. He's getting bumped. He's getting hit. He's, there's somebody there. He's got to mm-hmm. keep working. It's almost like Steph Curry, you know, off the ball, the way he had to work. But he's not used to doing that. He's using a catch, square up, shoot over somebody or get to his, his spot, shoot, take it to the basket, dunk. He's being harassed now. And and, and that's that physical nature of the, of the defense that you expect in the playoffs. These guys have, have done it all year long, so they know what they're doing defensively. And if the game – doesn't change as far as the way it gets called, they're going to be able to continue to do that. And I'm not saying it's illegal. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that they're playing the way they've always played. Channel 2's Otis Livingston um, had Kyrie Irving gotten vaccinated and he was available for all the games. The Nets would not have been in the play-in. They would have been first, second, or third seed. I think we both can agree to that. Uh, so yes. when and you look at what the, one of the reasons why James Harden forced his way out of Brooklyn, I believe, exactly. was because Kyrie didn't get vaccinated, and that this is not what he signed up for. Now, I'm, look, exactly. I'm not endorsing what Harden did. Uh, he did no. that same thing in Houston. I'm saying that if Kyrie had thought, if if the team 
which I thought initially when they said, no, we don't want him to be a part-time player, then they relented. Uh, yeah. Look, if this Nets team was fully was playing every game, Kyrie was playing every game, they would at bare minimum be in a second or third seed. Having said that, here's Boston, the second seed, that got to the second seed because Milwaukee tanked their last game of the season. So they wouldn't finish se- right. They finished. Se- they yeah. wouldn't. They wouldn't finish second to play the Nets. But that's going to bite them in the rump because, assuming Boston wins this series, they're going to have home court if they wind up playing Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. And and now I I don't think that they're going to lose to the the Bulls, but now they're in a dogfight with the Chicago Chicago Bulls. You know, sometimes you know. Uh, what's the saying? <laughs> uh, everything that glitters is not gold. I mean, you thought you dodged the bullet with the with the Brooklyn Nets. Well, now you're playing against a fired up uh, Chicago Bulls team that's going back home one one. Chris Middleton is now hurt, one of your key cogs on mm-hmm. your team. Mm-hmm. So that that little maneuvering thing, you know, that may, like you said, come back and bite them in the rear end. You know, um, this Boston team they're fired up, man. I, I I don't see Brooklyn beating them four out of the next five games. That's just when I think about that, I just that just seems like such a, a big hill to climb, you know. And uh, that that's that's Mount Everest, you know, the way they're playing right now, the confidence, and like you said, it's not you know it's not impossible to go into Brooklyn and get a win. So that's all they really have to do is split there, go back home, and win the series four one, you know. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, just how this whole thing shakes out and that decision to not be the two seed to, to avoid Brooklyn may be the worst decision that Milwaukee in their title defense has made. You know, you, you talk about Middleton not being available to Milwaukee when it looked like, at bare minimum, we had to look at Milwaukee as a team that was likely to go to the Eastern Final. Um, yeah. Now you go to the West. Here's Phoenix without Devin Booker for at least the next couple of games, if not longer. Right. So right. Here's, here's Phoenix that was going to coast all the way to the NBA Finals, you felt, with a healthy Devin Booker. Well, now he's not. They're one up in that series. <laughs> and all of a yeah. sudden, all the things that you planned for are not going to happen. And who knows what's going to happen. I, I think it's very intriguing. Um, yes. uh, I, I still, if this Boston team plays like, I don't know how you can do this night after night after night. But if they do, you could see them in the Eastern Final without question. Of course, yeah, yeah. And as far as Phoenix goes, you know, uh, they have to prove that last year was not a fluke. I know, obviously, you make it, you know, to the NBA Finals, uh, you know, you deserve that. But they could have lost in the first round to the Lakers if Anthony Davis did not get hurt. Yep. They, the Lakers were already up. He was playing. He was coming off a phenomenal game in Phoenix as the as scene shifted to L.A. So they have to prove that that was not a that was not a fluke. So you, you got to be, if you're Chris Paul, you're like, man, wait a minute. This is not me getting injured. Now one of my teammates can get, you know, and that's part of the playoffs. Injuries come up and, 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 and jump up and bite you all the time. And it's, it's sometimes it's just a battle of attrition. It's who can stay the healthiest and who's playing the best at that time, you know, and, and you can win a title. And, and this year, I think there's, what, three, four, five teams that could win a title. That, I mean, that's the way I'm looking at it. So, so those little breaks right there, something that could that could just 
come back and, and, and now with a hamstring injury for Devin Booker, those type of things nag sometimes. They don't necessarily go away. Right. You know, you could re-injure that one. And he already had a hamstring injury on the other leg during the season. So now, you know what I mean? It's, it, that's, that's a key player right there that could, that could lead you to the final, Eastern, the Western Conference final or the NBA finals. We don't know. But he's up on the shelf now, and we're going to see what uh, the Phoenix Suns are made of, you know, uh, next, at least these next two games. Let's uh, shift gears, go to the baseball front. The Mets are off to a very good start at 9-4. and four. They got a four-game lead and loss column in the NL East. Uh, basically what they're doing is uh, you know, trying to keep it together until they can get a healthy Jacob deGrom back. Uh, Scherzer's off to a pretty good start. They're getting contributions from other people. They're hitting the ball pretty well. Uh, it could be an interesting summer in baseball as you look to the Yankees. A little yeah. bit different, but they're not playing particularly well, and yet they're they're right near the top in the AL East. Um, it's interesting to me, in looking at the two baseball teams in the city, here's Garrett Cole, their ace, who hasn't gotten off the dime yet, and you just you expect that he's eventually going to become who he was. Yeah, you know, they, they normally go back to, revert back to what's on the back of the baseball card. So you expect him to get... You know, back up to those lofty numbers and the status and everything of that, and deserving of that multi-year, mega contract that he has. But man, if you're a Yankee fan, you have to be at least a little concerned. Uh, that showing the other night was horrendous. He could not find the plate. You know, he he walked five guys in less than two innings. Yep. And I thought it was a, a, a heads-up move for, uh, that uh, Aaron Boone made. Um, by taking him out um, because he just didn't have it, you know. Um, this whole spider tack stuff, sticky stuff that he doesn't have anymore, and you, you're starting to see more of those type of moments or or the non ace like moments, all the way back to the wild card game last year, which was a, a big moment where we thought, okay, this is where he, you know, really stamps it, and he didn't. And so the slow start this year, um, then there's got to be some concern. He didn't seem too uh, concerned. Obviously, he uh, didn't like the outing that he had the other night, but he said it's something that he can work through. And he was asked what was his thoughts when, when uh, Aaron Boone was coming out to take him out, and he said it was a four-letter word. Yeah. So there's some fight there, and he believed that he still should have stayed in the game. He could work his way out of it. Hey, this is a guy that's a young candidate. You know what I mean? He's one of the best pitchers in the game. Uh, we'll see if he can he, he can bounce back and, and right the ship. He's Otis Livingston of Channel 2 in New York. Uh, there's a one bright spot that's come from the Yankees to this point in a short period of time. Araldus Chapman has had three save opportunities, and he's converted all three. Uh, right. There's always I always had this fear last year in watching him pitch that he was going to do – he was going to – Walk somebody, that would lead to a base hit, that would lead to a run, and he wind up costing the Yankees a game. But so yeah. far, he looks like the old Araldus Chapman, uh, which is which is huge for the Yankees. Yeah. No, that is, that's an imperative that he, you know, be there. Especially the way, you know, they're still ramping up, you know, for the season because of the short spring training. So he might be needed a lot more. That bullpen might be needed a lot more. So him on the back end, if he's back to himself, he's always going to make me a little nervous, though. You know, <laughs> just like last night, he comes in with a two-run lead. Can you get, 
one or two outs before you let somebody get on base? Yep. No, he lets the first guy on base, and I'm like, oh, here we go. But, no, he buckled down. He, they were able to make plays behind him, and uh, he got out of the out of the, the situation. But uh, he's going to it, – it, it's like a roller coaster ride. It's either feast or famine with him, though, because – He's going to be overly dominant. I mean, and just strike everybody out and then do the last uh, out where he stares in, in after striking a guy out, you know, to end the game. Or it's going to be one of those roller coaster rides where it's like, oh, hold on. We don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> you know, you try to have that kind of confidence. And, and yes, that will do a lot for the Yankees' confidence as well, too, if they can have him get back to where he used to be. Well, they've got a couple of issues. Uh, you know, they didn't get the judge deal done. I don't know if there's yeah. any hangover effect uh, of that not coming to a deal. Uh, the, the way I read the deal, and I'm not on the inside, but it looked to me like they gave him a pretty fair offer. And uh, his not taking it uh, <laughs> leads me to believe that you may not have Aaron Judge after the season. Yeah, that's a possibility. You know, um, a lot of it can can be ego as well you know gave you a deadline this is what i wanted i didn't get it um i I don't think that he's the type of player though that um would would want to be anywhere else he doesn't sound like he wants to be anywhere else it Mm -hmm. may be a game of chicken after the season is over to see what comes of it um but it's also incumbent upon him to have a great year you know you put those type of numbers up that you normally do uh you you stay healthy which is a key with him um, at his age, especially because, you know, teams are, are they going to be willing to, to, to give a long-term deal to somebody who came up at 25 and is now on, uh, at 30, you know, how many years is he going to even get, you know? So the max money might, the, the money on a shorter term might be better for him. We'll see what happens. You know, uh, it seems like both sides want to get together. Um, they got to come to a, an agreement. Um, at, after the season is over, and, and hopefully for judges' sake, it comes after he has a monster year because he bet on himself. Uh, as for the Mets, they're off to a good start. Uh, they're getting good pitching. Uh, I mean, you, you, when they get Degrom back, uh, whether it's two weeks, three weeks, next month, whatever it is, uh, they have a good, uh, good enough team right now to contend in the National League. Uh, and uh, look. There's nothing more exciting than watching a, a New York team compete for a championship. And right now you're looking at the Mets and saying, why not? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think one of the one of the really, really bright spots for the team is Francisco Lindor, the way he's playing right now. Yep. Coming off that rocky first year in New York where he was at odds with the fans. He had, had a, a, with he and Javi Baez you know, with the thumbs down and uh, also had a little dust up, which they were talking about. It was a it was a raccoon or something like that in the in the walkway in the tunnel uh, between him and Jeff, Jeff McNeil, which everybody else thinks was a fight. But um, he he's really starting to look like that guy that was in Cleveland that everyone thought they were getting when when he came over. He's having a bounce back year. Jeff McNeil is a professional hitter. He's coming up with big hits. You know, Pete Alonso is going to do his thing. Um, they they they're getting it from a lot of different positions. Um, the pitching staff has been looking good as well, one of the top in the league. Um, so if they can keep that going, get Jake back, Max Scherzer continues to pitch the way that he is um, because they're, 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 you know, they're two of the best in the game, no doubt. That's hands down. So we'll see if they can sustain that until Jake gets back. And then, 
you know, if he can if he can assume his spot, which we have no reason to believe that he won't, um, then the expectations will be higher, you know. And 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 once you get that confidence going, you you start you know getting those wins and, and sticking your chest out a little bit, you know. They they believe that they can win. They thought that way in spring training, and which every team th- thinks, you know that they are going to be able to win a title or contend or be, you know, productive. But, you know, that is a reality, you know. We'll see if we can get the Yankees to, to you know, they, they seem to be in that same position as, as far as uh, offensively as they were last year, you know. And I'm looking for the timely hits. I'm looking for the two-out hits to uh, to tack on a run or to, to – to come through in the clutch, you know, those type of things, instead of just swinging for the fences, which has been their MO the last number of years, you know, I like to see the DJ LeMay Hughes come up and, 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 and do what they need to do to move somebody mm. over or get them in, you know, when you need to. Otis Livingston of Channel 2 in New York. Uh, let me, before I let you go, let's, the draft is a week from today. Uh, the Jets have the fourth and the tenth pick in the draft. And the Giants have two picks also in the top ten the Jets uh, now have been discussing the possibility, or they haven't outwardly been doing it, but it's come to uh, everybody's attention that uh, San Francisco's Debo Samuel has yeah. asked out of San Francisco and he wants to get traded. Well, the good news for the Jets is at least they have a connection because Robert Sala knows yeah. Debo Samuel pretty well. They made a shot. They made a, they made a run at Tyreek Hill. didn't work out. They made a run at Amari Cooper. It didn't work out. They made a uh, run at Mike Williams. From the Chargers, it didn't work out. Debo Samuel, to me, is is a playmaker. He's not a receiver. He's a playmaker. He he can run the ball effectively. He can catch it going deep. He could be that one piece that could make the rest of that receiving core really dangerous. Yeah, he sure can. And Joe Douglas was saying that, you know, they're going to explore whatever. You know, they have the draft capital, obviously, um, to make some kind of move if, if the the uh, 49ers are willing to deal him, which they've said they are, they aren't interested in doing that, you know, but it could get to a situation. We've seen guys force themselves out of situations right here. James Harden, you know, on the football field as well, you know, guys can, can force themselves out. And yeah, if they add Debo Samuels, man, that would be just another guy that will be able to help Zach Wilson. You know, he's a, he's a, like you said, multi-talented. He's so versatile. Hand it to him, he can do things, you know. Uh, they call him a wide back, like a wide running back. <laughs> so um, he can do that, throw him a short pass. He's got running skills. He has the ability to turn a short gain into a touchdown. Uh, so that would be huge for them. Um, maybe relationships could have a little something to do with that with, with Salah and, uh, and uh, Debo. But uh, it's just... It's, it's encouraging to see that these guys, as in the Jets, are willing to explore these opportunities. Don't forget, they were all in on Tyreek Hill until he decided to go to the Dolphins. It wasn't that there wasn't enough on the table offered for him that Kansas City could take. It was that his desire was to go to Miami and they acquiesced and traded him to the Miami Dolphins. So that was, uh, I think, really, really encouraging for Jet fans that at least these guys are not going to turn a blind eye and say, we don't have what it takes to, to get, go after some of these big guys. So we're going to go for the medium tier bargain basement type guys to help fill out our roster. Well, Michael LaFleur, the Jets offensive coordinator also was on that San Francisco coaching staff. Mm. So he's had a closer association 
with, with a guy like Samuel. But the whole key is, will San Francisco trade? Look, the Jets have four of the top 38 picks in the draft. That's a lot of draft capital. And I don't know that it'll, it'll require any other players, but I think that with that draft capital, they may be able to induce San Francisco into making a deal. Yeah, no doubt. We're going to keep our eyes open. You know, it could be, you know, uh, something that could happen uh, draft night. Uh, we're going to be out in Vegas um, covering the draft. So we're going to have our eyes and ears open, uh, you know, as far as that goes and, and see what, what, what transpires. But like I said, I just, I just feel like it, it's encouraging to know that they're not just, you know, we're going to reshape our team through the draft and some free agency. They're willing to make that trade uh, with, with that, like you said, that, that draft capital. So your boss twisted your arm to go to Las Vegas to cover the draft, right? I went, I'm, I'm going kicking, screaming. <laughs> I don't want to do it. You know, um, it's, it's, it, somebody's got to do it, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I drew the short straw. I, they made me go. <laughs> I, I get it. Uh, one quick thing before I let you go. Uh, Saquon uh, Barkley is basically saying he's, he's laid the gauntlet down. He says, I'm going to be that guy that the Giants drafted with the second overall pick. He hasn't been for a while. Um, I, I don't know if he's just being very braggadocious, whatever, but he's got a lot to prove, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And he, and he, he admitted it. He knows. He, he was quoted as saying that he's ready to kill. He wants to prove to, and, and what I what I found interesting was he was saying that he wants to prove to the Giants, not the Giant fans. You know, obviously that's inferred, but I want to prove to the Giants. So if there's any talk about them wanting to get rid of me or entertaining any thoughts, I'm going to show them the people that brought me in, even though Dave Gettleman, who's called him a gold jacket guy, as far as the Hall of Fame player, um, is no longer there with the team, but you know that 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 says a lot to me because he was a a great talent. Now, should he have been taken number two overall? Because that seems to be the bane of everybody's existence that he was just taken too high. You don't take right. a running back that high, you know, especially when you don't have uh, an offensive line that that can do the job to 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 free him up and and let him do what he does. Um, so. Uh, he wants to, you know, the injuries obviously are, are a factor in this, but he knows if he's healthy, he can be, he can be able to put up numbers like he did his rookie year because he had a good rookie year. It's the injuries the past couple years that have really uh, hindered him, yep. and he's got a lot to prove. And I think it's going to be a great thing to see him out there if he can stay healthy with a chip on his shoulder. Appreciate the insight, Otis. Uh, uh, you know, I'm going to beg you not to go to Vegas, but you know, don't listen to me. <laughs> no way, man. I got, you know, I'm a, I'm a team player for, you know, CBS, man. I got to do it. What a guy. What a guy. <laughs> you stay safe, my man. Take care. All right. You too, Howard. Take care. Otis Livingston from Channel 2 in New York. <laughs> he's a character. And he's damn good at his job. I'll say that straight up. Uh, we're going to welcome in a new uh, guy that's going to talk to us about last night's game in a little bit more detail. Uh, when we get a hold of him, he's Christian Winfield of the Daily News. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, oh Christian, how are you? I'm doing well. Can you hear me well? I can hear you loud and clear. We're taking a bite Perfect. of the Big Apple with Christian Winfield of the Daily News, who watched the uh, Nets debacle last night. Uh, oh, man. Like, hey, Christian, from my old neighborhood in Brooklyn, that looked like a mugging. 
I mean, that is definition of one, right? I mean, you've got a Celtics team that's coming in playing physical and really just mucking the game up, to use Kevin Durant's words. And, I mean, I'll tell you this. I've never seen Kevin Durant look like this ever. I mean, we're talking about a man who calls himself the easy money sniper who's out here shooting four of 17 from the field, all of 10 from the field in the second. I mean, it's this is what the Celtics do, right? This is, what he, this is why Ime Udoka is a coach of the year candidate because he's out there game planning, adjusting. He's sending two or three bodies at Kevin Durant, hitting them everywhere he goes. And I've said it all year long, if you're not getting 30, 40, 50 points from KD, 30, 40, 50 points from Kyrie, you don't have a chance. And that's what we saw on the floor last night. You got a great game from Seth Curry, got a great game from Goran Dragic, got a great game from Bruce Brown, who scored the first nine points of the game, mm-hmm. and you still come up short. I mean, it's just a devastating loss for Brooklyn, for sure. 17-point lead goes away. Uh, Durant has six turnovers for the second straight game. Mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving has one assist. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a lot of things. And I'm crediting the Celtic defense. Uh, I'm going to say that Ime Udoka, who knows the Nets roster, let's face it, he knows the players. Uh, but I'm going to come right out, straight out, and say that Udoka has outcoached Steve Nash. Oh, not, 100%. That's not even a question. I mean, you, you talk about how the Nets hired Udoka as an assistant to Nash. When, I mean, feasibly, they could have hired Udoka outright. They'd be great in a situation right now where even Udoka could be the Nets head coach and not Steve Nash. And that's been the biggest thing all along this entire stretch where you hire a head coach and Steve Nash, who has no prior coaching experience, who was a player development consultant for the Warriors. Yes, but prior to that, he was a point guard. And yes, we know, yes, you can be a Hall of Fame point guard and come in and be in over your head as a head coach. And we've seen that happen before. I mean, we've seen one not translate to the other. We've seen Phil Jackson be an incredible head coach, make the GM transition, and it just failed. Right? We've seen examples of that all throughout NBA history. Uh, I'm, I regret to say that this might be another example. Now, granted, right, the Nets basically started their roster from scratch at the beginning of the season, 10 new phases. Then you have the James Harden tree at the middle of the year. And the guy that you get back, the highlight of that deal isn't even on the floor, Ben Simmons, who might play in game four, but we don't know what condition he's going to be and we don't know what he's going to look like. I mean, the fact that the Nets aren't running very many recognizable or creative offensive sets, you know, their defense is pretty vanilla. Um, it, it's just tough. And then you see on the other side, just Ime Udoka making adjustments, changing just the way he's just creatively defending these guys. It's just night and day, and as I wrote for the New York Daily News today, what we're seeing from Ime Udoka on the Celtics is what could have been for the Nets, and it's not. Christian Winfield of the Daily News is a glaring statistic. The Nets had 35 field goals last night, 16 assists. That indicates a lack of ball movement in my mind. Absolutely, and this is Nets basketball in one respect, because at a certain point, you know, all rows lead to Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. We've seen the Nets be ISO heavy all season long from before the game's are in trade to after him. You know, I just keep going back to that March 6th matchup between the Nets and the Celtics in the regular season. And Ime Udoka said it best. He said, hey, you know, they're not running anything creative in terms of offensive sets. They're getting the ball to Kevin Durant. They're getting the ball to Kyrie Irving and making those guys make plays. And this is what happens when you do that. When you blitz those guys, when you make Kevin Durant uncomfortable, you see the turnovers. You play him physical. You see that you can't just – that's not how you win games. You see how the Celtics, they move the ball around, they play with pace, they turn defense into offense. The Nets don't have that continuity. They don't have that cohesion, and, and it's showing up, right? And now this is why you have to get 40 from KD or 40 from Kyrie or ideally a 
point game from both because if not, then you can get 22 from Bruce Brown off off dump off passes and open threes. You get a good game from Seth and Goran Dragic, and it's not enough. This team, if their stars are not shining, I think this could end up in a sweep, and that is a devastating blow when you consider that this is a team for the second year in a row has been championship favorites, and now they're going to fall pretty short. Christian, uh, uh, look, when you go for, when you fall behind 2-0 or 0-2, depending on how you look at it, uh, history tells us that 91% of the time, the team that's up 2-0 wins the series. That does not bode well for Brooklyn. And to be candid, they don't have what you would call a dominant home court advantage, even though they're going back to Brooklyn for two games. I mean, let's face it, the Celtics' goal is to win one out of two. Yeah, you know, I think back to when the Golden State Warriors and the Miami Heat came to town, and you're getting an MVP chance for Steph Curry, and you're getting huge chance for Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, and you've got Dallas Mavericks fans tra- uh, traveling and, and tearing on for Luka. I know that Barclays Center is going to sound a lot like TD Garden when I get back there. And it, it's just, it, it's devastating for this team because now not only are you going to have to play against a, a Celtics team that's had your number, you're not even really going to have a quote-unquote home court advantage because you haven't really had one over here. Now, could Nets fans come out and surprise me? Possible. It's possible they could come out and show out numbers, but I don't anticipate that. I anticipate Celtics fans to travel from Boston to, to go to these games and support their team. So it's going to have to really boil down to the game plan, to the adjustments that we need to see Steve Nash make. If Steve Nash doesn't make adequate adjustments in terms of finding ways to get Kevin Durant the ball without having to get... The, the, the way the Celtics are just playing him off the ball, he's saying that guys are guys are shadowing him. So when he doesn't even have the ball in his hands, he's got two defenders in his area. Before he even gets to the ball, he's got to run through three or four different Celtics players just to get to the ball. So that means Steve has to do a better job of finding ways to get Kevin off the ball, just moving around the floor to get to just to get an open shot. And uh, it's just tough because you're asking him to do something that he hasn't done all season. And on top of that, you're going to be playing at home in front of Celtics fans. So it's, it's, it's a bad look, man. I, I don't know where the Nets go from here. They're going to have to go back to the drawing board. And another thing they did, which, which is interesting, the Nets made the decision towards the end of the season to waive James Johnson and convert Kessler Edwards to, to a, a standard deal. Kessler Edwards was a second-round pick, drafted 44th overall. Kessler's played three minutes last night and, and four minutes in game one, while James Johnson was really a player who I think could have made a difference in this series. He's physical, he's athletic. Yeah, he's a guy who can create plays. He's a guy who can he's a dribble handoff guy. He's going to create opportunities for other guys. And on top of that, you chose to waive James Johnson while also having guys like Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge who are not getting any playing time at all. So it's kind of a culmination of a bunch of questionable decisions. And on top of that, you're playing against a Celtics defense that's got your number. So it's just a, it's a storm that's kind of hit the nets, and I don't know how they get out of it. Great point about Johnson. I thought about that when they released him. I saying, why? I mean, this guy, he provides a lot of energy off the bench. And here's Steve Nash last night after the game that says that his players didn't show the enthusiasm that he thought they should have. They weren't a match for Boston in that area. Well, that's part of your job, is it not? Yeah, it it is. You know, and it it just goes back to what I, I spoke about. You know, when you hire a rookie head coach, not even a rookie head coach, a head coach with no prior assistant coach history not coaching overseas you basically got someone who was fresh off the couch in terms of working as a player development assistant but not necessarily in the trenches with the coaching staff you 
got him coming in to coach a championship team, why do you do that? Why not go get a coach that has actual championship caliber pedigree mm-hmm. or at least a track record of working with Emil Doka, for example, spent seven years under Greg Popovich. Why not hire that guy? Why not hire somebody who has been under, you know, some one of the one of the greats in the in the in the NBA? So it's tough. Am I counting Steve Nash out completely? No. I'd like to see what he does, you know, with two days off now but before game three, but you know, just from what I've seen this season in terms of how he's been coaching, what I've seen this series in terms of the adjustments he made Udoka has made, he's had the Nets number this entire time. Uh, I'm not sure there's any one or two adjustments the Nets can make other than Kevin Durant hitting shots at Kyrie or hitting shots that could save them in this series. Taking a bite at the Big Apple with Christian Winfield of the Daily News. Um, look, Boston's in the second spot for a couple of reasons. Number one, Milwaukee tanked the last game of the season to, <laughs> yeah. to avoid playing Brooklyn. But that's going to bite them in the butt because if they both advance, you'll see Milwaukee playing at Boston, who will have the home court advantage in that matchup. So I don't know that this is a great idea by Milwaukee. And, uh, and furthermore, if, I, if Kyrie Irving had gotten vaccinated, would sure. the Nets be in this situation now? They would be first, second, or third seed, right? Absolutely. You know, if Kyrie Irving got him vaccinated, there's a case you've made that James Harden is still on the team. And right. as much crap as we give James Harden for coming into training camp out of shape and being inefficient and turning the ball over, he, his frustration really lied with the load that he had to carry because Kyrie didn't play. A load that was compounded once Kevin Durant got hurt with that MCL injury, and that cost him a month and a half. So just a trickle-down effect. Kyrie doesn't. Kyrie's not available. The team is spiraling. Yeah, you can say that's one of the biggest reasons why this team is where they are right now. If Kyrie gets vaccinated and is able to play, this team is probably, like you said, one, two, or three. And now you're here where we're talking about what the Nets might look like next year. Or we're talking about, okay, well, can Ben Simmons be the savior in game four when, you know, there's no guarantee that game three is going to go there with you. The Nets could be bringing Ben Simmons back in an elimination game. Well, right. What happened the last time he was playing in the elimination game? It didn't work out very well for him then. So I don't know. It, it, it's it's tough right now. Yes, Kyrie deserves his fair share of blame. Um, but I mean, the, a, a lot of it has to also fall on Steve Nash. I'm sorry. I mean, he just the lack of adjustments to make in the middle of a game. I understand you come in with the adjustments that you want to make from game one to game two. But when you see the way Udoka is scheming for Kevin Durant. And just blowing up everything that you have, you've got to be able to adjust on the fly. We just have not seen them able to do that yet, and that's what I think is ultimately going to cost. But that's the series. Oh, uh, they had there were two uh, two uh, sequences last night, not sequences, but parts of the game uh, from the third quarter into the fourth quarter. The Nets went seven minutes and four seconds without a field goal, uh, and then later on in the fourth quarter, they go three forty without a point. Uh, when you have Offensive weapons like Durant and Irving, that should not happen. Absolutely not. And then I think back to that fourth quarter, you know, the Celtics blew that open with a 12-1 to run, and Steve could have called the timeout at some point during that run, but he tried to pull a Phil Jackson thinking his team was going to be able to play through the adversity when they don't have experience doing that. This is a team that's still kind of new. You've got Seth Curry and Andre Drummond at the trade deadline, lost James Harden. These guys are still learning to play with each other. You have to call these timeouts. And timeouts are something we got on Steve Nash for last season. Last year, we saw him notoriously not calling timeouts while opposing teams are going on runs. Here's another thing the Nets do. They build leads and then blow them. We've seen that happen in basically every one of the last five or so games of the regular season. But those games were against the Indiana Pacers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Houston Rockets, the New York Knicks. 
none of those teams are the Boston Celtics. You cannot blow a lead to the Celtics and, and think everything's going to be okay. So there's a lot. I, I think, you know, still at the end of the day, if you get one of those special performances from Kevin Durant, if you get another 39-point game from Kyrie Irving, you're still in good shape. But the Celtics are not looking like they're going to allow that to happen. They're going to make the other guys beat them. And so far, the Nets have proven that that's not going to be able to work. Before the playoffs started, I kind of figured that Phoenix was, was going to go sail through to the Western Finals, maybe right. maybe a return to the to the NBA Finals. Uh, and I also felt the same about Milwaukee. Well, now right. Milwaukee loses Middleton, and I don't know for how long. Phoenix yeah. loses Booker for at least two games, if not more. All of a sudden, it's wide open. Man, and all of a sudden, James Harden looks like the smartest person in the room. And that's what's got to sting the most for the Nets right now when you see James Harden force his way to Philly. And granted, Toronto without Scotty Barnes is nothing to poke, to poke your chest out about, right? I, I think we all had the Sixers winning that series from the jump. And then even more so after Scotty Barnes goes down. But the Sixers look good, right? And so do the Miami Heat and so do the Boston Celtics right now. And if the, if the Milwaukee Bucks don't have Chris Middleton for, what, two or so weeks, I think that's going to damage their odds of making it out of the second round, right? Especially depending on who they match up with. If they're getting the Celtics who are playing the way they're playing right now, I mean, that's going to be a tough matchup for them. I, I, I'm not sure. Which, the East is wide open right now. All we know is that the Nets right now are under the, they're, they're really under the gun right now. So I guess we'll see which way it goes. You know, right now, if I was betting, I'd probably still have the... Uh, the I, I, I came into the season thinking it was going to be the Bucks coming out. Uh, but with no Middleton, I, I've got to go. I've got to the way the Celtics are playing. I'd like to see a Celtics Heat series. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, no, I don't bet either. I don't bet on sports because if I bet, here's what would happen: I'd be living in a tornado box under the highway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet one time this season, and I bet on the Nets. There's there's, there's odds where you could bet on these players' props. And I just bet. I was like, you know, I think KD's gonna go off tonight. I think you know Bruce Brown might do this. And I had to stop because I realized I'm not even paying attention to the game anymore. I'm just looking at the numbers and seeing if they're going to hit these overs. It's not for me. I can't do it. The anxiety spikes too high, and i got to stay focused. Hey, before you go, I know you don't cover the Knicks on a regular basis, but you got your eye on what's going sure. on at Madison Square Garden. Uh, look, when the Lakers fired Frank Vogel, I thought they fired the wrong guy. I thought they yeah. should have fired Rob Palenka uh, because he made a lot of bad moves. But that aside... The Knicks did not trade Julius Randle at the trade deadline. Should they have? You know, I'm torn on it. Uh, part of me thinks yes, right? I think the absolute nature of him getting the ball and holding on to it, I think his body language is bad too much. I think he, I think the last game of the season when they're, when they're celebrating a win, he just darts off the floor running away while everybody celebrates. I think it's a bad look. But he's also a talented player. I think, you know, first and foremost, the Knicks need a point guard. Right when you don't have Derrick Rose, who is a backup at this stage in his career, you shouldn't be banking on Derrick Rose to carry the load anyway. At this point, you need a starting caliber point guard to set everybody up. Julius Randle should not be your point guard. I think he should be on the floor. Absolutely, I think if he's playing like last year's Julius Randle and not this year's, I think you're, you're taking a step in the right direction. You know, one guy that I look at for the Knicks is, is Malcolm Brogdon. You know, I know the, the Pacers have Halliburton and Heald right now. If they're somehow able to put together a package that lands you Malcolm Brogdon or a guy like Malcolm Brogdon who's going to play defense, who's going to shoot some threes, who's not going to play too far outside of this game, I, I think that helps them a lot. But if they're not able to do that, 
you know, then you really have to look at another season of this R.J. Barrett. You know, R.J. Barrett is proving himself to be, I don't want to say a superstar. I'm not going that far yet. I only, I barely want to say a star, but he is, you know, capable of being that franchise player. How much of that do you want to diminish by having a guy like Julius on the floor who needs the ball in his hands to be effective? Mm-hmm. On top of that, you're also seeing Obi Toppin emerge at the end of the season. Yep. They, those two can't play together, right? You have to make sure you get minutes for Obi. So part of me says, hey, you can trade Julius, you can get a guy like Brogdon, and then we get a guy who can play the center position if you're going to lose Mitchell Robinson in, in free agency. But they've also got Jericho Sims who can play. So the Knicks have a lot of talent. Uh, I think Tom Thibodeau needs to actually play some of these young guys. We've seen him be reluctant to play his younger players and lean on his veterans. I think he needs to play some of his young guys. I think most importantly, the Knicks get a point guard. If they can get one, I mean, look at what Chris Paul was able to do for the Phoenix Suns. I'm, I'm, obviously, the Knicks aren't going to be able to get Chris Paul, but if they're able to get a floor general who can play that same role, uh, I think we see them uh, right the ship next season. Yeah, plus the fact you get a break on your car insurance with Chris Paul. <laughs> These are facts. Hey, Christian, appreciate your insight. Thanks a million. We'll do it again. You stay safe. For sure, man. Thanks for having me anytime. Appreciate you. You got it. He is Christian Winfield of the Daily News covering the the Nets Celtic series, which has turned out to be something less than the next Celtic series. It's been about the Celtics defense. It's been about putting the clamps on Durant and to a lesser degree Kyrie Irving, although last night they shut him down. And it's about Ime Udoka, the coach of the Celtics, out coaching Steve Nash of the Nets. Plain and simple. It's about adjustments. That's your job as a head coach. That's all I'm saying. I'm Howard David. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. And you stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.